0: Canuck Central Monday. Dan Riccio and Vic Nazar with you. Uh, Satsi Arshaw filling in on the People Show as he's uh, continuing to get back to 100. We are in the Mobile Kintec Studio at the Fairmont Pacific Rim. Canuck Central is brought to you by Gripoto Entire, quality service you can trust, and 14 locations to serve you. Yes, uh, we're here at the Fairmont pack rim for the sports celebrities festival presented by wheat and precious metals and uh supporting the canucks for kids fund and special olympics bc so uh we'll uh, get to hopefully talk to a couple of canucks and uh, tell you all about the event here tonight i can already say that i am uh i mean i'm a little bit interested definitely interested in some of the uh the charitable items that are on offer here—it's uh, it's a long
1: quite nice. row of goodies. Yes, like we're at the end of a long haul, and it's—you got to walk by all these majestic tables right before Christmas, and you're like, "Boy, there are a lot of yeah cool items here."
0: Look at all these nice signed jerseys and mm. everything else. Uh, some nice uh, bottles of red wine, and a little, a lot of go- lot going on here uh, at the Fairmont Pack Rim. So uh, we're looking forward to that. But as we know. And as you know, if you've been uh, listening through the course of the day or living under a rock, I don't know. But uh, as has been the conversation pretty much since J.T. Miller signed his new contract with the Vancouver Canucks, it is what's happening with Bo Horvat. And today news that uh, Horvat and the Canucks could not come to a contract agreement despite talks
1: ongoing over the last couple of weeks, Spick. The latest overture uh, yes. denied, and look, we know negotiations long process. There's only one conclusion when either a player is sent away or ink is drawing on the dotted line. Neither of those have happened just yet, so this is part of the process, but it is a, another strong indicator of where this looks like it's heading, right? And we've talked about it in recent days and in recent weeks here of uh, that it hasn't been trending well. Didn't have the opportunity to meet in Toronto yep. a month ago. Today, I believe that game was uh, in Toronto. And, you know, you make your pass and it, it just comes down to what is the valuation for Horvat in the market and how do the Vancouver Canucks and Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford view how they want to build a, a, their center depth. And I think there's going to be a gap there. And I think there's always been a gap there. And it's at some point you have to see everyone's best attempt. Yeah. At some point – Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford are going to do their best to say, hey, this is the best we can do. And Bo Horvath's campaign to say, hey, what's the lowest amount we can take? And if there's still a gap there, yeah. then
0: what are we talking about here? There's... One of the fallacies that I believe exists right now is that the Canucks can't afford to keep Bo Horvat. Um... Sure, if Bo's asking for $10 bucks or something to that effect, uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's probably true. But he's not in that range. Just in a vacuum.
1: Yes. You can afford Bo Horvat next year.
0: Yes. Just in a vacuum. You can absolutely, if you are the Vancouver Canucks and you want to sign Bo Horvat and you want to give him whatever number he is currently thinking he deserves and where his head is at as far as what it's going to take to keep him in Vancouver, Canucks can likely do that and figure out if they've got to shift some money around elsewhere or just be unable to do other things this off season, which is the more likely scenario of how it would turn out should they sign Bo Horvat. So I, I want to get that out of the way first because that fallacy does exist, but it's just simply not true. This comes down to the Canucks having a number for Bo Horvat that... Currently, they've been unable to agree upon with Bo Horvat. We heard Sat talk about, you know, was the number in the summer closer to the Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract that was signed a couple of years ago by the Edmonton Oilers? Uh, has it sort of progressed into a fifty-two-ish million dollar range where Braden Shen got his contract with St. Louis Blues not that long ago? That's a pretty big gap we're talking about 10 million bucks in the space of a few months 28 games and uh, it speaks to how hot Bo Horvat has been this Mm -hmm. year and the improvements he's made in his goal scoring but uh, this seems like a, a pretty large bridge to gap then if if we're still talking about a contract being unable to get
1: done and let's be clear again. Like roster building doesn't exist in a silo. Like we we're talking yes. about earlier, as far as the vacuum that's created for Bo Horvat. Again, you can sign the deal, but it excludes you from exploring other yes. improvements. That's the difference. So if if you're can whole you go goal out and right find now? a defenseman?
0: Can you go out and do other things yes. that you think this roster desperately needs? And also, yeah, you know, uh, how are you going to fill that second-line center spot if you lose Bo Horvat? All of those things do apply, but, yeah, you're not able – if you sign Bo, you're very restricted as to what else you could do with this roster.
1: But that's why it's important from everyone's perspective, ourselves, fans, and management here to look at this and say, okay, what are our priorities? Mm -hmm. And then where does this player rank in this list of priorities? If if your number one thing right now, if you're listing your Canucks fan, if your number one thing is you want to see Bo Bo Horvat on this team next year, then okay, you can sign the deal. Yeah. But then you can't do all these other things that are mm-hmm. also on your to do list. But if if that's your number one thing and you want to get that done, then okay, it's doable. But to your point, it just you're not gonna be able to find the other demon, you're not gonna be able to push new fresh assets into this organization that they desperately need to start yep. building out that next core with, you know, around the age range that makes sense. And for the Horvath camp, because he's having such a good year, as you detailed, with the goal scoring, that number is also getting higher. And the closer you get to free agency every day, it's like, yeah. boy, are we, how much are we saying no to? Mm-hmm. So you can say no to $52 million right now, because come the summer, what's that number going to be at? Right. And is that number from the rest of the NHL market going to be closer to sixty? $3 million. Yeah, Which sounds a lot, and, and for Horvat, like that's an $11 million hometown discount. That's a large number. It, it's a thing that I know you guys have talked about it. It's, it's not that Horvat wouldn't take a discount. It's what is he taking a discount from?
0: If you were to think about Bo Horvat, the player, a year ago today, so Bruce Boudreau is just into the new job. Horvat has been off to a slow start to the season – Nobody was really scoring all that much under the Travis Green-Era Canucks before they made the coaching change. If you were to ask yourself, Bick Nazar, what is Bo Horvat worth a year ago today?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What would that number be compared to what the narrative and what the speculation seems to be now? Someone
1: might dig this up, but I think I was on record in January of this year, this calendar year. So shortly around this time span.
0: So before he went on the the crazy hot streak that he's been on. And
1: and the the crazy hot streak started about March 9th. Mm -hmm. I think I was somewhere in the range of 575. And I I think my number was 6 and, you know, with Randy I was doing the show with, and I think his number was somewhere around 6265. But I think I said 575.
0: Not two dissimilar numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. They're both significantly less than a potential nine million dollar contract or eight and a half million per, nine million per that we're talking about with Bo right now, and 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 that to me is just. It's wild for a market that has talked about and seemingly said constantly, oh, can you believe they paid J.T. Miller on a whim because he just out of nowhere had this 99 points. He's guy's been a point a game since he got to Vancouver, better than a point a game mm. since he got to Vancouver. It's the definition of not being a one-year wonder. And I'm not trying to say that Bo is that, but Bo has consistently been – his production has been consistent through his career. It's
1: about point seven five points per game. Yes, it's and generally what what you get from Horvat.
0: And right now, he is well above that. And certainly, the goal scoring has taken a significant uptick. So, if you look back, Bo Horvat's played seventy three games now under Bruce Boudreau, and he has scored forty four goals. Pretty good number, all situations in 73 games, you would take that any day of the week and twice on Sunday, that sort of player is worth eight plus million dollars, especially when they're playing through the middle of the ice, guaranteed. The 82 games before that, Bo scored 26. So what's the real version of Bo Horvat? And the 26 is more in line with what his career numbers have always been. Is this the new norm in the NHL where guys are scoring more? There's scorings up around the league, and we've got to readjust our thinking on what those players are worth because everybody's got a few more goals added to their names. Is this a legitimate uptick that Bo Horvat has had through his career? Even if all of that is true, does that make that player worth $9 million, $8.5 million per season? I'm still skeptical that I would want to build – my team that way and for everyone out there as well that's saying oh you, you need change with this roster we want change we want change something's got to give with this team oh but don't trade that guy like you're going to have to make the decision somewhere this management group knows that they had to make the decision somewhere you just don't like the fact that they chose JT Miller and prioritized JT Miller over the captain Bo Horvat
1: i'm not even sure if it's it's I, I think the because the contracts can line up very easily is the other question we should maybe be asking is, did they give the Bo money to Brock Besser? Because that's still a huge chunk mm. of money. That's six point six five. Right. So if if you're coming to the next season, you say, hey, if we had an extra six million dollars, or or how much did you, how much do you think they need to be able to sign Bo and still make improvements? It's probably about somewhere around about five, right? <sighs> yeah. Uh, again, you'd you'd want as much. You need as you another can. five six million bucks, yeah. And they're trying to
0: do that by. Maybe moving out Brock because or Myers or Garland. As,
1: as much as people say, hey, you shouldn't have signed the JT deal, and mm-hmm. I think there's there's a fair thing to, to, to argue about that, that. As far as the timing of where your organization is, should you have handed out this deal with his age, all, all that stuff is fair. But as far as like what the contract they gave him is, mm-hmm. it's market rate. They didn't overpay for JT Miller. Yeah, He's been the 13th most productive forward, 14th I think after last night. Since arriving in Vancouver, yes. Johnny Goudreau got nine point seven five over seven years. He got sixty-eight million total money. Also a
0: winger, if you're.
1: But I mean, JT's a forward. Yeah. Okay. No, but
0: for the crowd that is, um, you know, you you paid JT thinking he was a center and he's not a center. Well, you don't have to be a center to get paid that kind of money okay. if you're giving out the
1: production. But but he, he's got the thirty-fourth highest. Cap hit once the contract kicks in, yeah, it'll be like the thirty-fourth highest cap hit for forwards. But he's producing at the thirteenth highest rate per game, or yeah. for for total points. But Zabinijad gets sixty-eight million dollars. John Tavares is getting seventy-seven total million dollars. J.T. has got more points than all of them. Yeah, than then than then Tavares. Uh, he's, he's again he's ten points behind Goudreau in five less games, but their their points per game rate are awfully numbers. similar. Yeah. again, there's a difference between market value and market rate, you're not exactly getting a lot of value on the deal. He's got to produce. Yep. But it's a high number for him to, to, to get to, but it's it's in and around the range of what those players get paid. JT hasn't been too dissimilar like from any other point in his Canucks career. But Brock is the thing that say, hey, if there was an extra $6.68 million that you didn't commit, and they were put into a tight corner, given the call, the qualifying offer, could you... I think there's an argument to be made of, should they have just done that to be able to free up the money for both? If you wanted to go down that road, so
0: the bet they made was okay. Let's let's do this now and essentially keep our options open with Brock. If he hits and he starts scoring again, and we're fine with this contract, uh, if or you know we can, it, it's a little bit more movable mm-hmm. than it is in this current moment. If we do that and that happens, they just decided let's punt the ball down the road and hope that this contract becomes more movable
1: or it just becomes a value contract for us. Which I think was the right move. Yes. But I think it also shows where Bo was on the priorities of how in demand that they felt they had to do this. Do you want to bring them back? I'm sure there's a want to bring them back at their number. Yeah. If you had to overextend yourself, you could have prepared for this by not doing the Brock Besser contract, freeing up $6.6 6 million, and saying, hey, at least JT's producing at a point-of-game level for us. We don't know what we're going to get from Brock, and we've tried to move him already. If we don't want to commit money to the next year's cap and beyond to open ourselves up for the opportunity at Bo, I'm looking at the Brock contract way more than I am the JT Miller contract, because we're already 28 games to that, and it's like... Trade demands are coming out or potential trade demands are coming out and the agent is empowered to try to find a move. Mm-hmm. There's the money that if you want to pay for Bohorvat, Horvat, that's the money I'd be looking at, not the JT Miller money.
0: Well, and a lot of people are sitting there and lamenting, you know, Oliver ekman Larson's contract right now, Connor Garland, Tyler Myers.
1: That will predates this management group, In, in fa-
0: Exactly. In fairness to this management group, like, what are they supposed to do with that? They inherited – all of those contracts, they've been trying to move all of those contracts since they got here, and it's proven to be quite difficult. By any means necessary, ex- too. Yes.
1: And I, I'm, I've, I've been talking about this a lot. Is maybe come the summer, do you start looking at the buyout option for an Oliver Ekman-Larston?
0: Larson? It's a very real option. You essentially open up all of his cap cap hit for one year. For one year, and you know the the penalty down the road would be a couple million bucks. For four years, so it's not insignificant, but it's definitely there. And and so I, I keep coming back to you know what the idea of how this all fits in with, with mer- where management is headed with this Team Bic and this feeling that a lot of people have that there's no plan here. Well, what if they had the chess pieces out on the table and – They had a few different strategies they wanted and thought could play out, and this was just one of them that has played out because they didn't get what they thought they might in trade for J.T. Miller, Mm -hmm. end up signing him to the contract. They haven't been able to get Bo under a contract that they felt would bring value for a few years to come, and now you're moving more towards a trade for the captain But all along, as they've said from the beginning, there's going to have to be some change here somewhere, some hard decisions to be made. Some unpopular moves. Some unpopular moves. And of all the things that could have played out, this is the strategy. This is the door they went through, door number four that said, or that they feel has been the one that played out, that works best to their idea, their vision of the future. That's that's how I see yeah. how this is all played out right now. Yeah,
1: and, and there's a difference between wanting to hear a plan and not liking the plan. Yes. And I think if you go through the actions right now, a lot of Canucks fans would say, I don't like the plan. Yep. But if you look, if you just go through the actions and the trades and the, and the, and the signings and where this is all kind of pointing to, it's probably most likely, it's always been most likely. Well, the
0: reason people don't like the plan is because they – they feel the only way to fix this thing is by tearing it all down to the studs. Sure,
1: yeah, and and <laughs> that's not that... a
0: real like it's not the option. That, if they've told you definitively one thing they weren't going to do from the day they got in here, yes. it's that they're not going to tear it down to the studs. So if you weren't listening,
1: is yes. that on you basically, Yes. And also the other point too is if this is the plan, if this was the idea to, in January, Alvin jumps in. It's like, hey, we we kind of have an idea of what we need to do immediately. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll run this out a bit. Maybe we make a decision in the summer, but we can bleed this out a little bit more with the flat cap and everything. Could I make an argument that this has kind of gone perfectly for them? Because if you in in January decided Horvat's the one that we're going to move off of, yeah, that's an unpopular move. We, we build our franchises a little bit differently the way in Pittsburgh, and I, I'm talking outside of Malkin and Crosby. If you look at the centers they have target, I would generally look at centers that have been defensively responsible first mm-hmm. and add more to the game as well, but they all have a profile. Bo doesn't fit that profile. JT's a forward. They can put him to the wing. But either way, if you made that decision in January or even in, in March or April, and you just said, the most important move we're going to make is the Bohorvat move. Isn't this kind of going perfectly? He's scoring a bunch of goals. Yeah, he's raising his value. Yeah, and by the way, you still want to do your own building? Wouldn't it be nice to have a nice high draft pick as well? Yeah. The, from from their vantage point for long term building, has this season gone poorly for Patrick Alvina and Jim Rutherford? There's been a lot of heat, understandably, mm-hmm. but as far as cards that they could have played, because the Bruce Boudreau one. That was that was a card they were dealt. They were not dealing that one out. Yes, it was. Hey, you you've got Bruce for two years. Yep. This season, like, has it really gone that poorly for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford from a team building team
0: building perspective? The way the team is played has confirmed everything they said at the end of last year. Right. There's no. There's literally no doubt they about that. They said they wanted
1: a, a, a different culture, higher yeah. standards, and come training camp. Now, no, part of them is incumbent upon them yeah. to instill those and get that message across. So if that failed, that's a little bit on them. But it's also, hey, the players, like, are you going to be the ones to respond? They want the type of players that will, are willing to respond. If they didn't get that in the summer, they've said, it's like, we'll move the people out that feel like we're, we feel like are not responding to the way we want to build it. So part of me does feel like
0: the way things have turned out with JT is suboptimal, but as we mentioned earlier in this segment, not too different from the player he's been at any point in his Canucks career. Now last year he was playing center towards the end of the year and there was a legitimate thought he could play that. Now there's a little bit more doubt. I still think he can play it um, and, and be fine in certain spots. Is it what he's going to play for the next seven years under the contract? Probably not. But But
1: no matter what, this team had to get more centers in their organization. Right. So, and I think that's why. And it, no, it's it's clever spin by Jim Rutherford to be able to say like he's a dual threat forward. He's a two positional yeah. forward. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. But if if you just if you were to look at it that way, yeah, it's it's so, it's easier to transition him to the wing at some point because you're going to need top six centers no matter what.
0: Yeah. So so has this worked out perfectly on that front? Okay. Bo is. Really crushing his value right now. He's sort of being the best version of Bo Horvat we have ever seen. And if you were to sort of outside of some of his defensive frailties, he's become exactly the player you would have wanted him to be.
1: That March 9th date I mentioned. Yeah. From last year. Since then, he's second in the league in goals per game. Mm-hmm. Second! That's pretty good. This is an unbelievable 46 game run right now for yeah. Bo Horvat. And that's why I look at it, it's like, this is kind of great for Patrick Alvina and Jim Rutherford. what an opportunity to look at this asset. And then really the question then becomes timing between now and March 3rd.
0: As, as Sat said on the People Show today, you've got to nail the trade. Mm-hmm. You know, if this has ended up being, as I said, door number four that you've decided to go down and really commit to, especially after the contract gets rejected by Bo then you've got to hit a home run on the trade. That's how you get more people behind the plan. That's how you get more people believing in the future of the Vancouver Canucks under your watch. All of those things become a little bit easier if you hit a home run with the Bo Horvat trade. And that has worked out perfectly. A lot of other things haven't. You know, punting the ball down the road to hope that – you know, Besser plays well and you can maybe get a little bit more for him in trade or figure out a hockey trade that works more for the team, not just like this futures thing that everybody's been hoping for or even a Garland deal Mm -hmm. could um, pop up at some point. But both of those players have been so poor this year that it's hard to imagine that happening in this moment. As for Bo, it's worked out extremely well if the plan all along was we've got to move one of these guys Who's it going to be? And Bo right now, his reputation around the league is stronger, and therefore his value around the league is stronger. You're probably getting more for him in trade than you would have JT last year, and that um, probably tells the story of why they've gone down this path. We'll have to see if it plays out that way, though.
1: Curious to talk to Frank in a bit, too, as well. Because from where we were in the summer to where we are now, right, how much of a gap... Have the Canucks tried to close? How much more is the offer from where we were in the summer to this reported rejection of the latest contract? Is it twelve million? Is it fifteen million? Is it twenty million? Is it a million dollars per goal? Yeah. Is is that what happened here? That suddenly in, in twenty eight games it's like, oh oh my goodness, we yeah. were off by twenty million dollars. Is is it a nuge deal or is it a Mika Zabinajad deal? That's a
0: that's, That's a, a huge, huge gap. And man. in twenty
1: eight games we're gonna make that evaluation? Yeah. That seems wild to me.
0: It's it's a tough one. As as good as Bo has been this year, um, it's still a hot streak. It's a long hot streak. Can it continue? Obviously, the way the contract negotiations have gone, there's still some hesitancy from the Canucks front office that it will. Stan Richo and Bic Nazar. We've got Frank Valley coming up, our Monday Hockey Insider, his take on this news and more going on around the league. That's next with Frank Valley on Canucks Central. We are in the Mobile Kintex Studio at the Fairmont Pack Rim getting ready for the Sports Celebrities Festival here on Sportsnet 650. Central in the Kintec studio, the mobile Kintec studio. We're at the Fairmont Pacific Rim for the Sports Celebrity Festival. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Frank Valley is uh, going to join us. A uh, lot of uh, reaction coming in uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, guys, would you move Bo Oel and Myers for a seventh or some nominal return? Assuming you can't get a deal. Uh, no, 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 no. That, <laughs> that wouldn't make much, much sense. Uh, the the whole Myers thing. I know um, the loss
1: of opportunity on that trade is, is yes. staggering. Like I know some money comes off the book, but wow, <laughs> that is <laughs> the.
0: the, the Look, the OEL trade is is uh, is aging about as poorly as uh, we all sort of expected, and it it hurts that OEL hasn't been able to maintain his play from from last year. But... It's aging like me, I'm washed already. <laughs> I mean, you know. You... <laughs> Your knees start acting up when you go on a walk, for Christ's sake. So, yeah, facts only. <laughs> it's Dan Riccio and Vic Nazar. Let's, uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is Frank Saravalli, uh, who's uh, overjoyed that there's been some developments in the uh, Bo Horvats conversation here in, in Vancouver. So the latest that uh, Bo has rejected a recent contract offer. Frank, what have you been hearing on the
2: situation? I don't know if you guys remember, but I actually broached this subject with you last Monday.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and said pretty much exactly that in not as many words perhaps you could argue not as clear but I said there was rumblings of the Canucks re-engaging with the Horvat camp hadn't been able to confirm specifically but had certainly enough knowledge at that point to know that there was no material change basically in the way that these negotiations have unfolded so if there was indeed a new offer that was volleyed the Horvat camp's way, that they didn't and weren't batting an eye at it and certainly wasn't something that they were going to be rushing to sign. So how much of a gap
1: has been taken from where we were in the summer to where we are now? Like, What, like what do you feel like the offer was in the summer to what the latest
2: offer may have been? Well, I can tell you that the offer in the summer, the initial one that they first made was exactly the Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract, eight times 5.125. I don't know how far the gap has been bridged because I don't know the specifics of the number. My guess is it's, you know, with the way Bo Horvat has played, there's, there's, it's undeniable Mm -hmm. that not only was that offer and, and look, it's, this is a pretty common tactic, so I'm not slamming the Knots in any way. That a lot of times teams throw out low ball offers all the time. They figure our offer's here, your offer's gonna be way up here, you know, your your ask is gonna be, you know, whatever call the number, nine, nine and a half, and we're gonna somehow find a way to meet in the middle. And this is the initial normal dance that team and player does with something. But I think that initial volley was so outside the ballpark of what the Horvat camp considered respectable, that there were a lot of, I don't want to call it hurt feelings, but there was certainly uh, a pretty good amount of frustration there um, with that. And so whether that next number started with a six, a seven, whatever it is, needless to say, it's, it's nothing that gets them excited. And so, I don't know that how far the gap has been bridged really matters because they're at the point now where they've got a lot of fixing to do, a lot of fences to men. It's it's a tough situation because
0: Bo has not been, like, a huge point getter for much of his career. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the goals this year and the last – certainly since March that have really – uh, seen an uptick and it's it's how much it's, complicated. You, it's really complicated because how much do you come up when yeah you know comparable wise you know he is very like production is is comparable to Ryan Nugent Hopkins for a lot of Nugent Hopkins career it's actually more than what Bo Horvat's put up but that contract came in a depressed market it's it's a very favorable one for the Canucks to point at and say hey that's our comp um it's how how far do you have to come up because Bo has has been on this incredible run where he's got 20 goals this year and since Bruce Boudreau came in he's got 44 total in 73 games played under Boudreau. It's a it's an unbelievable number.
2: Honestly, it's it's a that makes it really tough to handicap because then you consider you know is this a statistical outlier season? Mm-hmm. Is this something that's repeatable. And when you consider really in some ways, the distance that Bo scored from, I'd say a lot of it has been, feels like so much of it has been net front. Um, but then how do you weigh that with sort of the other historical numbers that he's put up? Like, this is a guy that's played. What did he hit 600 NHL games the other day? Mm-hmm. Like yep. the track record has been there. Like, you, you you, think you know what the player is. And I feel like in some ways, the Canucks sort of got, and probably what they're guarding against is they, they were in a spot with JT Miller last year and the 99 points that they put up that as much as that was a statistical outlier season for his career, that they felt like they couldn't stray away from that. And, you know, I think the other part is, unlike Miller, he's a center, he's younger, and he plays the game the right way in such a complete way that he makes, he makes it a lot more difficult to lose a player like that from the team that you're building to to be successful. Um, But at the same time, he's played so well that he's probably put himself and the team in a spot that they can get a ton for him. And that's really at the end of the day, what they have to weigh it's it's not so much, you know, when it comes down to what that final number is, whether it's seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. I mentioned the other day that, um, you know, from the people that I've talked to in the league, that there is, there's a belief out there that at least one team, and it only takes one, is willing to pay a number that starts with a nine, whatever that number ends up being, that's not what you're, really weighing if you're the Canucks what you're weighing is what's the return in a potential trade how long are those projected assets going to take to impact our team and does this help us get closer to what our ultimate goal is which one does that
1: we can sit here and debate and come up with, you know, comparables for production and what that's worth for a contract. Is there a trade that the Canucks are weighing it against, say, this is the comparable we look at of what we can get in the trade market? Because I kind of go through this, and it's really just like the Matt Duchesne one is the only one I can come up with, and it's both. Um, but is is there a a trade that you look at and say, this is what they would should be shooting for? Well,
2: the Duchesne trade was – pretty significant to your point. Um, honestly, I haven't done the homework yet on what that market looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference this time around is that there's such, and there always is a clamoring for it, but there's such a hunger. There's such a need for centers and not just centers, but those who are particularly reliable and really good in the face off circle, like all those things that you want to look for, then add in the office component and the leadership perspective, all those things, like, it's a home run of an acquisition. Um, and it's, it's going to be a hefty, hefty price. There's no doubt about that.
1: Do you think an acquiring team would also be trying to or willing to do the eight-year, the, the, the trade and sign right away? Or is, this, is he being viewed as a rental piece right now?
2: Well, that's, I think, the thing that the Canucks are going to have to weigh is, you know, clearly you'd you'd like to send them to a place where you can maximize the return. I'm sure there are some teams out there that are willing to pay a lot um, just from a rental perspective that may not be able to extend an offer like that uh, just based on their current cap picture. But I I think the unwritten part about all of this is that, and, and it hasn't really been said all that often, is Bo Horvat's holding the keys now. You know, this has gone on long enough to the point where he, he sort of, you know, played his way into this contract year. He's shouldered all the risk. He he can determine essentially where he goes next with a simple phone call that, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't need to be overt, but essentially is, "Hey, heard you're knocking on the door to try and acquire Bo Horvat." Yeah, just to let you know he's not interested in, in signing an extension with your team. Like, this isn't going to be a fit for us. So if you trade for him, just know that it's rental only. That's the type of power that Bo Horvat has now, and that's the spot that Canucks are in.
0: And it's uh, it's definitely a tough one <laughs> to be in because that can kind of work as a uh, – not a full no-trade clause, but obviously it uh, it can definitely – It's a de facto no-trade clause is yeah. what I would call it. It can sway the argument for, for certain teams uh, in certain directions, for sure, and we've seen that happen in the past. Um, you know, there's been so much talk about how Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alveen want to set up the, this Canucks team for the future, and we know the, the no-rebuild thing has, has been around for a while, but it it's always felt like they were going to make some sort of change. Is it based on circumstance that it's going to end up being or it feels as though it's going to end up being Bo Horvat as the contract has been difficult to nail down and just the idea that they got it done with J.T. Miller in the summer. To me, it always felt like one of them was going to go, Frank. It's just the unpopular decision to have it be the captain rather than J.T. now.
2: Unpopular in a lot of ways. I I agree with you that um, it's also, I think, changed. It's not even so much the contracts and and where the dollars and cents line up, it's also the order in which they were handed out because yeah. they've essentially, you know, put themselves in a spot where they kind of could only afford one. Like, could you find a way to sign Bo Horvat and, and keep him? Of course you could. Uh, you'd have to move some things around and, and reshuffle the chairs, and it's it's possible. There's no doubt. Um, but it, it sort of feels like the writing has been on the wall,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And more to that point, I think one of the big things is that when you look at this team and you mentioned where they're heading, what the ultimate plan is, the idea of trading high-priced contracts that you have on your cap to really finally begin to create the salary cap flexibility that the Canucks have so long craved, um, this is your easiest path. This is one way to really open up a huge door. And it's not only just that, but it's your most valuable asset right now in terms of a, a likely trade. So that's really what they're working through is that this is a guy that it just, for all those reasons that we've just unpacked, that's really what it seems to be pointing to it.
0: Yeah, and, and we knew or we thought more change was coming in the summer. It obviously didn't, but... It sort of confirmed everything that Alvine and Rutherford said at the end of last year that, you know, they they hadn't fully bought in on on the great run the team did, had to finish the year, and everything we've seen this year has sort of confirmed that. You know, I I know they've been on a better run lately here, what, eight and four over their last twelve, but I, but I look at these last three losses. I, I watched the game against Minnesota and, and how poorly they played and how they were, you know
2: how bad that what? first period was
0: yeah oh. like it was flattering you know they lost three nothing and Spencer Martin was their best player as their goalie uh they
2: they
0: they and had
2: such an opportunity against a Minnesota team that's playing three and four and to yep. finally you know get you get back to level ground again in the, in 500 in the standings you sort of feel like okay maybe this is a chance for them to vault themselves into the playoff conversation once and for all And it it just feels like every time you turn around, this is the same old team. This is exactly Mm -hmm. what they are. They are what their record says they are. They are the way that they've played to this point. And to go down the path again, not to cut you off before you ask your question, but to go down the path again and and be fooled by a last 50 games, which essentially, like, can they get close and knock on the door again in the playoffs? Sure, the math is heavily stacked against them. Uh, and not just from a pure wins and losses perspective, but also the quality and caliber of teams that are ahead of them in the standings that you don't like too many teams have fallen into this trap year after year, whether it's the Columbus blue jackets, or, or you name your team, they get in, enchanted by the last 50 games in a meaningless season and say, Oh, that'll carry over to next October. And it almost never does. And that gets in the way of true progress. I feel like to this point we've seen what this Canucks team is, and we've seen it for a long time. Um, but now we're reaching that point of action.
0: Yeah, you, and you knew exactly where I was going with it. But it just—it feels like you—you you keep committing to the same bad relationship and hoping for different results. You can't—you can't keep doing that. You know, oh, yeah, at, at some point it's your fault.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's—it's it's not even. I think that's kind of the tough part for this. Um, this front office is that they're also dealing with some issues that they have to clean up from the previous regime, but at the same time in some ways, and it's always hard to judge these things based on, you don't know what the kind of uh, internal pressures are from from up top in ownership, but it feels like when you watch this team and, and how they've operated as a front office, that And and when they had an opportunity last year and were sort of handed this um, really tough season to then finally change the course of of where the franchise is heading, they they kind of – they seemed confident heading into the summer. And then it's almost like they wavered at a certain point and I don't want to say chickened out, but that's sort of what it feels like. It was like the path of least resistance. Like, hey, let's give it one more try. But the problem is when you sign such a big contract like J.T. Miller, it has a ripple effect, and it, what it does is ends up prolonging the pain. Uh, so what's the timeline then here, Frank?
1: Because uh, there's the, the holiday freeze coming up, and I, I know I asked you this last week, but now we're at a different stage where a contract was rejected and the Canucks run their risk of hey, uh, an injury or something like that, or the market changes uh, with another trade. Uh, are we looking at uh, a month here? Or are we
2: looking at closer to March 3rd? I think if, if the Canucks are, are actually going to, to make this trade, that it makes sense to wait until the very last minute possible to make sure that you bid up as many teams and interested parties as you can and work that price up to the point where you're finally, you know once and for all that you're getting the best possible deal that you can. And that's really the biggest thing. So um, I, I think that's where it's sort of always trended for me. I've never gotten the sense that it's been imminent. And by the way, um, I would say in terms of this, the report that you guys are referencing um, about the contract that was rejected, like this is, I think from a couple weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the Canucks sort of felt like they had um, presented something in, in good faith and were helping to try and move the process forward. But it was sort of, Essentially, something that was never really going to be considered. Uh, what happened at the Board of Governors day one? <laughs> uh, the answer to that question is nothing. <laughs> uh, they actually spent uh, three plus hours today with the entire board assembled. 75% of it was on uh, presentations from their media partners in ESPN, Turner Sports, and Rogers Sportsnet. And other than that, there was some some discussion about a few other minor business points, but the real meat of the meeting is going to be on day two on Tuesday when we can finally get an updated revenue projection, which sounds like it's going to be very similar to the one that the board received six weeks ago in New York. Um, a minor issue on the fan code of conduct, um, maybe potentially an Ottawa Senator's sale update to the board, but those are the types of things. It's not a very hockey-centric board of governors meeting this is a very business heavy board of governors agenda
0: well uh still a never a bad reason to go to palm beach florida uh so uh enjoy (laughs) uh, it frank
2: this this assignment does not suck (laughs) uh
0: we'll talk next week thanks for this as always
2: thanks guys have a good one uh
0: there is uh frank saravalli uh, at the uh, Board of Governors in Palm Beach, Florida. Potentially getting uh, more of an update on where the salary cap is headed, though, Elliot Friedman hinting that uh, not much different on the project- projections from what we heard in October, that uh, we could see the salary cap increase as early as next summer for the off offseason. So, and, and
1: Frank mentioned with us last week as well that maybe if they get close enough to the end of the escrow payment. Yeah. Owners forgive the last little bit. Maybe it's 3%, 5%, just because it opens up opportunities for them uh, elsewhere as well. So if you change the economic landscape, even from the owners and batists, that could uh, change a lot across the league.
0: I think my favorite Board of Governors meeting of all time, not that I uh, you know, have a list of favorite mm-hmm. Board of Governors meetings of all time.
1: I'm fascinated where you go with us. because like, I don't have my own personal list. <laughs> was
0: it a Mark Bergman who walked around with oh. like the, the plant to try and avoid the media?
1: Sure. <laughs>
0: Like ah, nothing to see here, just a walking plant.
1: Anyway, he's see jacked though. <laughs> you can't hide behind. Now, him. How many
0: other GMs could like
1: you know carry the plant, for example? How big is that ficus? <laughs> it's a big cactus. <laughs> I can't believe it's like moving that quickly. Uh, some good stuff there from Frank though on the Horvat stuff. You know the other consideration they have to do because I know there's a there's a worry here. It's like well if they wait till March third, what if Bo gets hurt? Uh, like picked up an injury last year, obviously. What if his goal scoring dries up? Yeah. Right? So the last 46 games, it has been 7, uh, .74 goals per game. That's a pretty good number. Again, it, it's a small sample, mm-hmm. okay? but it's half a season. Where We're dealing with small samples right now. The last seven games, he's got three goals. Yeah. What if this is the start of a a return to Bo normal scoring rate, which is still very productive, but the... More of a 30-ish goal guy? Instead of a 60-goal pace. Yes it's got to
0: slow down at some point point. and what happens what do we say every year the league starts to tighten up and teams mm-hmm. are getting closer to the playoffs playing more for that one point the same cliches get repeated over and over again the, the one trade that i've sort of thought about a lot in the last little while when it comes to Bo, is the taylor hall trade from the devils to arizona interesting the year prior to the bubble. So, um that year obviously COVID shortened. It wasn't a great trade. Like the Devils for a reigning Hart Trophy champion at the time did not get, you know, a haul for for Taylor Hall.
1: That's what you did there.
0: Um but it was a quantity trade. Mm-hmm. They they got a first round pick which they turned into Dawson Mercer. Uh they got a couple of other prospects. But, I mean, look where the Devils are now. And that's maybe more to do with the fact that they've won the lottery a bunch of times and they committed to the rebuild in the way that they did. Now they've got so much in terms of, you know, what they have on their roster. They've spent in free agency and spent well. But I- I've looked at that trade as one where it happened early in trade season because it happened in December of that year to an Arizona team that was trying to to get into the playoffs and um, – I would hope the Canucks shoot for more than what New Jersey got in that Taylor Hall trade, who was one of the bigger rentals we've seen go in trade recently.
1: Well, the reason I asked Frank, too, if if there's teams willing to hand out the contract immediately as well, yep, is the Matt Duchesne trade. And not the Duchesne trade that sent him away from Colorado. The trade that sent him to Columbus. Right. Because there was two first-round picks involved mm-hmm. in that trade. And the con- the second one was a conditional first if he signs in Columbus. Yep. Is, is that a structure? Like, there was two prospects and two firsts. Is that a structure you can build around Bo if you're trying to explore the trade market? Feels like those
0: first-rounders are harder to come by these days, especially for rentals. Got to pay up, though.
1: Yeah. Because there was a first-rounder in that deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was the second one that, that that's the intriguing bit. It's uh,
0: when it, when it comes to Bo, uh, it, I'm going to be curious to see how the rest of the market plays out. I know people are a lot of make are, are making the, the link to St. Louis, but Hey, if St. Louis decides, you know what, this is maybe a quick reset year for us. And they trade Ryan O'Reilly and look at doing some stuff in the summer, you know, all of a sudden Bo might not be the most valued center on the market as a rental Mm -hmm. you know dylan larkin is still unsigned for the detroit red wings i think not only could those players affect Bo's free agent market next summer but they could also affect the canucks trade market if there's two other big centers out there and available for trade both are expected to stay with their current teams but um we'll see how that plays out given especially that St. Louis has not been very good this year. Uh, All right, more to come on your Vancouver Canucks as uh, we continue here on Sportsnet 650. We are live on location at the Fairmont Pacific Rim, and Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank for Food Bank Friday. This virtual fundraiser for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank is December 16th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and raises important funds for accessible, healthy, and sustainable food for individuals as families. Donate today by text to 30333. A carrot emoji donates $5, banana will donate $10, and a heart donates $25. Standard text message charges do apply. It is Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.